0: Tonight, um, we're going to kind of finish what we were starting to talk about last week. Actually, I, last week when I got done, I thought, boy, that just fell flat. I don't know. I was all excited to teach it, and it just, I was like, man, that just I, what was wrong? And as I was preparing again then for this week, I thought, oh, that's what's wrong, because this part needed to be in there to really make it come together. And I got all excited again. So now it would probably fall flat again, but I'm excited about tonight's message. Uh, We looked through all of chapter 12 last week. We're going to do it again this week. But we're going to give you another perspective. Not that last week's perspective was wrong. I think it was correct. But I think there's more, and this is actually probably what last week's was pointing to. And so that is uh, just a little... Explanation of last week's, I guess. But tonight, uh, I'm going to start at verse 4 first. We'll kind of jump back to verse 1 in a moment. But it says this The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Well, we talked last week that this woman is Israel, the child could be Jesus, and the dragon is Satan. I think that the woman is still Israel. I don't think that has changed. However, this child, I think, has more significance. You know, when Jesus came the first time, a lot of people missed him because they had this idea of what the Messiah was supposed to look like, who he was, you know, uh, what he was gonna do, all those kind of things. So when Yeshua came as a suffering servant, you know, Ben Yosef, the son of Joseph, instead of the son of David, Ben David, they missed him because they had everything planned out. That's what concerns me a little bit with the book of Revelation. That I think that when we have such a nice, neat outline laid out for you, that when it happens, you may not see it happening because, well, that's not what it is because it's got to be this. The Antichrist isn't supposed to come you know, out of there. He's supposed to come out of here. And, and we have all these ideas. Now, again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have some of that. I think we should. But we have to be open-minded because we're dealing with prophecy. Prophecy looks forward, not necessarily back all the time and so if we believe revelation is a prophetic book how can you tell what's going to really happen you can't fully now if you recall when we started this book of revelation here it said in chapter 1 verse 19 write the things which you have seen that's kind of you know what john was seeing there and the things which are the things that are right now and the things which will take place that's future most commentators will agree that the things which you have seen is just chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, where we're seeing this vision of God, basically. You know, what he looks like, and you know, just an amazing, powerful figure. And then the things which are, which were the churches. He says, write this to these seven churches, to the church in Philadelphia. They knew what those churches were. And then, right after that, it says the things which will take place which then was chapters four all the way through chapter 22. Well, chapter four, verse one, as soon as you finish the churches, it says this, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. It almost seems that he's saying after the time period of the churches, after that future event, okay? Or after it meaning a future event. So I wanna give you another option or interpretation that more than likely you've never heard of before. I don't know. But um, I think it's very important to look outside of the box here. Couple of problems with us saying that this is Jesus. Note what happens to the child. The child was caught up. That word caught up, as I mentioned last week, is harpazo. It literally is the Greek word that is used for rapture. Anytime we're talking about the rapture today, it's boom, you know, sudden, quick. Jesus did not disappear suddenly and quickly. He went up very slowly while everybody watched as he ascended. As a matter of fact, it's a completely different Greek word for when Jesus ascended than it is for harpazo here. And so this child is caught up. And notice when this child is supposed to be caught up. It says, she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Um, It seems like, uh, I, I guess I went too far, it should have backed up a little bit, to devour the child as soon as it was born. Okay, but this child is caught up and protected right after it's born. Yeshua was an adult when all of this takes place. So, like I said, harpazo, the word rapture caught up. uh, That's what we see in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, talking about at the sound of the last trumpet. Same thing in Acts chapter 8.30 when Philip, if you recall Philip, after he baptized that Ethiopian eunuch, boom, he was just in another town. That was the word used there, harpazo. So it literally means a sudden change taken off by force or to be snatched away. I don't think Jesus' ascension fits that ideally. Like I said last week, I do think there is a picture of Jesus, but I don't think that's really what this is talking about. Um, it was this being taken up, this harpazo, that Revelation here is telling us is delivering the child from the devil. Jesus' ascension did not deliver him from the devil. The devil had no power over Jesus. And so, even that in itself doesn't seem to really quite fit this being Yeshua. So, what causes Satan to be cast to the earth? Well, the woman to be persecuted with her offspring in the beginning of the three-and-a-half-year tribulation seems to be this harpazo, that this, all of that is what causes Satan to be cast to the earth. There's going to be war in heaven because of these things, and because of that war, Satan is cast down to the earth. That doesn't seem to fit Yeshua or Mary as well that because of those things so I'm gonna throw out something here that I think I'm gonna be able to back up scripturally that yeah you are that child at least I hope you are that you are the overcomers before we get to that Revelation 12 1 let's start at the beginning and get the whole context here now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth." So we did talk about, as I said, the woman, the the connection in Genesis there with the sun, moon, and stars. I do believe that that is indeed Israel. Um, We're going to take a a deeper dive to see, though, scripturally, who these people would be. We read here in Genesis, the sons of Jacob came came in from the field when they heard it. This is when Dinah had been raped by Shechem. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. Here we see all of the tribes of Israel, all 12 are being called Israel. That they had done a wicked thing in Israel when you might say Satan went in to try to corrupt the seed of Israel. Because the whole idea of Shechem doing this is they wanted to marry With you, you know, we'll marry you guys, you guys can marry us, we'll mix. Satan was going after the seed, and he's done this many times throughout history, you know, and this is just one of the examples. But this is an affront against all of Israel, all of her offspring, when the devil tries to mix that seed. I think uh, Noah's flood and and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah are pictures of this as well. Um, I'll I'll get to that maybe here in, in a little bit, but for now, the beginning of the nation of Israel was really Joseph's dream here when he sees the sun, moon, and stars bowing down. Those 11 brothers of his and Joseph become the 12 tribes of Israel. I know you guys understand that. But what's fascinating to me is that if there's anything ever good in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, really, it is ascribed to being the church. If it's bad, it's ascribed to being Israel, the Jews. Isn't that kind of funny how that works? But in essence, that is. It's like if, if it's something bad that's happening, it's to the Jews. If it's something good, it's to the church, because somehow we deserve it. Okay? I don't agree with that, but that is an attitude of modern Christianity today. And as you study the book of Revelation, we see that oftentimes, uh, which is why we see the replacement theology. Um, we see why a lot of anti-Semitism came about, because you Jews, you, you deserve it. You're sinners, not like us. And these are things the early uh, church fathers wrote in their writings even. So, why did Joseph leave his brothers? Well, it was a family feud, right? There was jealousy jealousy going on. Romans seems to talk about that's why we have a separation of Jew and Gentile is jealousy even to this day. And one of the reasons that we're supposed to be following God is to make them jealous, to make them envious so that they would come back. Isn't that interesting? Jealousy was an issue of why that separation took place. Jacob, if you recall, he left his parents because of a family feud as well, Jacob and Esau, a Jew and a Gentile, a separation of the two. And so he fled to his uncle Laban at that time. So a lot of family feuds have caused this separation. Jacob was then enslaved by Laban when he fled to him. Now, I use that word enslaved in quotes, meaning he was just persecuted. He was treated unfairly we see that Israel, Joseph, when he fled, he became, in a sense, persecuted eventually and enslaved by, the, by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Same type of thing happening. In both cases, whether it be Jacob or Joseph, when they were being persecuted, they uh, proliferated, they, they uh, multiplied greatly under persecution. Both of them did, Israel and Jacob. Almost every one of Jacob's children, just about, were born under Laban's care or persecution. We also see that when Jacob left Laban, Laban pursued him. When Joseph leaves Egypt or the other tribes, the Egyptians end up pursuing him. When Jacob leaves, he has to travel through the wilderness in order to get to the promised land, back to Canaan. Egypt, in order, when they left Egypt, they had to go through the wilderness in order to get back to Canaan, the promised land. Same pattern that is there. When Jacob is about to enter the promised land, before he gets there, he, he sees that Esau is coming or here, so he sends two messengers out ahead to check it out before he goes in. When Israel is going into the promised land, they send out the spies, the 12 spies, to check it out. And there are two that give a a good report. But in both cases, a bad report comes back. Esau is coming with 400 men. He's got soldiers. These guys are giants. There's no way we can take this land. So a very similar pattern taking place. Jacob when he gets in there he he stays at Shechem and it is at Shechem that we read about this their daughter Dinah or his sister uh... in a sense being raped and so as a result uh... it causes you know uh, problems but it was an attempt to stop them from being able to enter into the promised land we don't want you we want to not be a separate people Likewise, just before Israel gets into the promised land, you remember who they met? The Midianites. And it was all the women of the Baal of Peor. Remember when they Balaam told them, hey, send all your pretty women down into the camp and see if they'll mix together. And some of them started doing that. And so this whole incident at Peor, before they entered the promised land, was a threat to try to mix the people together all throughout. And so I'm going to ask this question. Could it be? Don't know. It's prophecy. There could be a number of scenarios here, but that the Jews and Gentiles today, we have kind of feuded. There's so much anti-Semitism in the church, which is why we have replacement theology. And it has caused us to be separated, that dividing wall of hostility that Jesus came to tear down the Gentiles built back up again. It wasn't really the Jews that did. It was the Gentiles that did it this time. Remember when we went through the book of Acts, it, it was they who were welcoming in the Gentiles. It's the Gentiles that when they grew began to boast over the branches and started bringing in the anti-Semitism. That separation, the devil has tried to make that separation again, to mix The Jews have been, you might say, enslaved ever since. Persecuted by the church. But despite this, they continue to grow in numbers and in strength. No matter how many times people try to kill them, whether it be through the Holocaust, there's no reason those people should be alive today. They should have been wiped. Any other group of people would have been wiped off of the face of the earth a long, long time ago. And yet they continue to thrive. Not only that, but... Go look at how many Nobel Prize winners have been Jews. They not only thrive, but their contribution to our society is incredible. I'm not saying that all Jews are good. I think there's a lot of evil within Judaism. All-out Satanism within Judaism. But that's not what a true Jew is, then, is it? Not according to Jesus. Jesus. So, they survive and thrive as they begin to move closer to the end times. And the Messianic Gentiles seem to be kind of coming together with the Jews. There seems to be a growth of that. We see that the Jews are actually growing in Messiah, they're, they're coming to Christ in bigger numbers now than what modern-day Christianity, the evangelical church, is growing in numbers. We move around a lot. You know, we, we kind of change sheep often, but true growth in Christianity? Not a lot going on today. That's not the case within Judaism. Something's happening, God is doing something. We read how, and we're going to see this more, but in chapter 11, how Jerusalem was going to be given over to the Gentiles to be trampled on for 42 months. Is it possible then that the devil and part of the flood that he is going to go after these people are going to be Gentiles that are going to trample Jerusalem for three and a half years? That that seems to be more of a a picture of tribulation. Or sometimes the tribulation isn't called the tribulation, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Hmm, Why is it called the time of Jacob's trouble? Because Jacob is unique. Jacob isn't Israel. Jacob, well it can be I should say, but oftentimes that's the Jews, not the Gentiles. So before they are able to enter the promised land, which the promised land is a picture of what? Heaven. Two witnesses, two spies come. We just saw in chapter 11, two witnesses who come. Moses and Elijah probably. And so my question is, is there going to be a temptation to unite or corrupt the seed Is that what the devil's finding? If the devil knows prophecy and the devil knows that the time is short, do you think he's going to continue to go after the seed? You bet he is. Now, you might say, well, he was trying to corrupt it so that the Messiah could not come. I think there's truth to that 100%. However, I also know that he goes after the rest of her offspring. He doesn't care. If you're for God, he's against you. It's that simple. Keep that in mind as we go through this. I'm just giving you some background before we really give you an answer, but Isaiah 26:17. Interestingly, speaking here of Israel says as a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs when she draws near the time of her delivery. So have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have as it were brought forth wind we have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. It's like we've been pregnant, we were supposed to give birth, but we've given birth to wind. We've accomplished nothing. Well, Jacob and his sons are Israel. This verse helps us identify the woman, here in Pang, seems to be Israel as well. What we see in Revelation, we're seeing here in Isaiah. Israel was supposed to be a light to the world. They weren't. Why? What was the number one reason? They failed because too many rejected Messiah, Yeshua. Now, I don't know if I'll get time, if not this week, later. I'm going to show you that when Yeshua came, He came to fulfill what Israel failed at. I've mentioned it before, but I'd like to go through it in detail later. But this is why when Jesus fled to Egypt, because, well, you know, Mary and Joseph were warned in a dream, it says, and so was fulfilled, out of Egypt I called my son. Well, that is a quote out of, I believe it's Hosea 11, 1 and 2. And when you go to Hosea, it does not say "Out of Egypt I called my son." It says, "And out of Egypt I called Israel." We're seeing an absolute one hundred percent direct correlation to what Jesus going to Egypt, being called out. The life of Jesus is the life of Israel. He fulfills it. Israel, when they went into the Promised Land, they were supposed to drive out the demons drive out all the evil ones, right? They didn't. So when Jesus comes, the land is filled with demons because they didn't do their job. So what does he do? He casts out demons. He does their job. The Israelites were supposed to be a light. They weren't a light. So he fulfills it for them. They're a light. Now he empowers us. But the point being is that's the goal of Jesus I came only for the lost sheep of Israel. I want my light to go out. I want to bring unity. I want to tear down this, this wall of separation. All of these things. Adonai chose to rule and reign for the people because they failed. Once he ascended, though, did he say, okay, I did it. I'm done. No, he says, now I'm going to send you, the Holy Spirit, because you are now the ones who I expect to reign. I'm going to reign through you. This is the pattern that we see all throughout the Bible. And let me tell you, this gets rid of a pre-trib notion that Okay, troubles are going to come, boom, we're all gone. Everybody's gone because he's not going to allow you to see trouble. No, what he wants, we are the team in which Jesus rules. You're the team. He's not just, okay, you guys sit over here while I do it. Remember, when Christ comes, he's coming, all the holy ones with him. We'll get into more of this here, but Isaiah 66, verses 7 through 11. Before she was in labor, another. this is a completely different verse. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Notice the timing of that. Before pain. okay. Before she was in labor, she gives birth. Usually you get the pain, you get the labor, then you give birth. This is you give birth. Then the pain, it seems, right? Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Zion, that's Jerusalem. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who caused delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. Jerusalem is going to be glorified, lifted up, and you are going to be able to go to her bosom, is what it's saying here he says, shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery? He says, no, I'm going to bring you there, but there's going to be a deliverance with that. So this is clearly very prophetic. Most people will say that this is prophetic of the nation of Israel being born in 1948. Shall a nation be born in a day? Ever since Christ ascended, Israel did not have a nation until 1948. Because that's, that's in our generation just about. That's incredible. In here we see a male child, just like in Revelation 12, verse 5. She delivered a male child. So this woman does seem to be Israel. That seems to be consistent. But this doesn't seem to be Jesus here. It seems to say that it's more than just Yeshua, but a a proliferation of Israel in some way. Seems to even be suggesting the return to Jerusalem. Maybe that is the 1948. I don't know. But it also seems to maybe possibly suggest does the pain come after? Does it come later? after she gives birth to all these people, then there will be a time of Jacob's trouble. I don't know. Micah 4, verses nine through 13. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like the woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city you shall dwell in the field and to Babylon you shall go there you shall be delivered Go out to the wilderness go to Babylon Okay you'll be taken care of you're going to be delivered for a time times and half a season per time times and half time or for 1260 days perhaps I don't know but it seems to be the same pattern there the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies The devil went after her. Now also many nations have gathered against you who say, let her be defiled and let your eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron. It's almost like Zion is going to rule with an iron scepter. Going to make your horn iron. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain in the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. So a gathering to a threshing floor, Zion crushing, Zion being protected, but yet also bringing destruction. All kind of very Revelation-like of what we have been talking about. This, the nations going against her almost sounds like the Armageddon battle that we're going to get to here shortly. Uh, it seems like the harvest and the rapture of what we're going to read about in Revelation 14. We'll see more of that later, but just these are thoughts I want you to kind of put in your head. So as I've already told you, I think that this man, child, or this, uh, this child, this male offspring, yes, Jesus is a pattern of that. But that's not what Revelation is talking about here. Why? Well, let's first of all look at this part of ruling all nations with a rod of iron. It's like, how can that not be Jesus? The prophecy was that Jesus would rule with an iron scepter. Yeah, but how? You see, when Jesus came the first time, they were expecting the king to come and reign with an iron scepter. And instead, he gave that iron scepter to you and said, you guys are now my team. You are to go out and rule. And even that is just a pattern to what's going to be in heaven. Look what it says in Revelation 19, 5. Clearly, Jesus. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. So, clearly, in Revelation 19, it is Jesus. And it would be easy to say, then, that that is Jesus in Revelation 12. However, as I said, there were some problems that just don't seem to fit with that being you know, a perfect fit for Jesus. As I mentioned, prophecy, looking forward, is almost impossible to understand fully. I wonder, though, since it seems to be what the Bible says is God's not done with Israel, God's not done with you. Otherwise, why did he put you here on earth? He doesn't really need you, but as we've talked about before, he wants you. He wants you to be storing up treasures in heaven. But he also wants to use you to accomplish his purposes. And... I have to ask is will his people give birth or I should say maybe will Israel give birth to people who are going to obey the commandments of God Is it possible that that's what's talking about here is that this woman is going to give birth to people who say I want to be a Jew and by that I mean a definition of a Jew according to Jesus definition of the faith of Abraham Let's look at Revelation 12 here again. Just the same verses, to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but now let's look at it in connection with what we saw in Revelation 2, verse 26, which was talking about the churches. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, the obedient, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them, the nations, with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. Isn't that interesting? Here, if you take the same exact book, the book of Revelation, it's saying those people who overcome the world by being obedient and following God are going to rule with an iron scepter. Revelation 3.21, same thing, to him who overcomes, the overcomers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. Those who persevere, those who overcome, he says... I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. Perhaps he's going to give them the wings of an eagle to go out into the wilderness, a place prepared for them. I I don't know. Which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. One of the reasons for this trial coming is a test. Will you be obedient? Why did God give the Ten Commandments after He delivered them? It was a test to see whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He says that's why He gave him those commands. It's a test. Listen, do you love me? If you do, here you go, do this. If you don't, you're a liar. Truth is not in you. Obedience is a test. And so these churches today who are telling you, oh, you don't need to be obedient, you just believe in Jesus? No, that's that's cheating on the test. You will get an automatic failure. You Daniel, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really, yeah, we watched it there. Yeah, the first ten minutes... I almost had to turn it off because I just was a boiling. It was tough. So what we're seeing though is this exact same promises given to those who overcome the same promise of Yeshua but again just like what I told you before Yeshua came to do what Israel was supposed to do now he ascends and he says go team I'm gonna go sit on the bench figuratively speaking he's not out of the game but you know what I mean While you guys are my team. He's coaching, yeah. You're my team, and I have given you the Holy Spirit to do it. You have the power to overcome. You have the power to be obedient. But let me tell you, the devil is going to hate that. And he is going to come after you. But don't worry. I have a prepared place for you. You will be protected. But now, we need to define what you is, and we'll get to that in a minute. So it does fit Yeshua, but it also fits us, because He is in us, and we are in Him, according to Ephesians. It, you remember the story of Balaam again with the uh, Moabites and or the Midianites. Moab? Now I'm confused. It was a Midian or Moab? It was Midianites. Okay, the Midianites. Anyway, um, Balaam is prophetic, <coughs> and it's not an accident that he's mentioned twice in the Book of Revelation. Because that means God is trying to bring this whole idea of Balaam back to your mind in what's going on here. What's fascinating to me in this, the women of Peor there, in Numbers chapter 31, they chose 12,000 men, or literally 1,000 from each tribe, to go and fight them. They defeated them, and it said not one was missing. Not one. That's fascinating because in the end times, you're going to see, or we've already seen, 144,000 men that were marked, 12,000 from each tribe. It makes you wonder if those 12,000 who have been sealed, as we saw before, that the trumpet judgments and whatnot are not going to affect, are a special group of people, the A-team, that are going to be out there for a specific purpose and job and will be protected and not one of them will be missing. As we said before, and we've seen many times, there seems to be this 144,000 and the rest of them. Both believers, what's so special about this 144,000? It seems to be, I I don't know, I just know it seems to be separated. But they're both good. But that God has a purpose for one of them. So, the woman in pain, expecting a man-child. The dragon waits to devour that child that child is going to rule with an iron rod there's enmity between the seed of the woman and the serpent right the dragon wants to go after the seed of that woman i mean that you can't read that without going to genesis it should take you to jesus in genesis it fits israel as well as i said before So Genesis 3 and Genesis 12 seem to be connected. As you look at this story in Revelation 12, there are a lot of similarities. Genesis 3.16 said, To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Sounds like Revelation 12 in a lot of ways. She cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. In Revelation, it says, I'll put enmity between the serpent and the woman. And in Revelation 12, the dragon persecutes the woman and makes war with the rest of her offspring. So you've got the male child and the rest of her offspring. Two different groups of people. Is it possible then that one of those is this 144,000 and the rest of them are this everybody else that believes and follows keeps the commandments of God? If they're offspring of Israel, though, I can tell you this, they keep the commandments of God. That seems to be the key. The promise of Revelation 2 and 3 is to him who overcomes. They're the ones that rule with an iron scepter. Not only that, but then we see when the dragon goes after the rest of her offspring, it defines what those people are to those who keep the commandments of God. Obedience matters. All three of these things, the enmity of the seed, difficulty in labor, and a cursed ground, seen in Genesis 3, is kind of a picture that we see in Scripture a lot. Um, Like I said, Cain and Abel trying to wipe out the seed. Jacob and Esau, even in the womb, going after that, trying to wipe out the seed. David and Goliath, Goliath wants to wipe out the seed. Moses and Pharaoh, Pharaoh wants to wipe out the seed. The Nephilim in the land, the giants wanted to wipe out the seed. Athaliah, that uh, evil woman, tried to kill the the last remnant. When a baby, they kept the baby in the temple until he was two years old. Um, Childbirth in itself, All the barren women in scripture, Rachel even died giving childbirth. That the woman tries to even, you know, go after it that, or the devil does, tries to go after it that way. Um, That promise or this curse in Genesis has affected the matriarchs, you know, all through history. Note as well that the Abrahamic covenant that God gave to Abraham was based on all three of these as well. God said that he would multiply their descendants like the stars in the heavens. Okay? Satan wanted to make it difficult to have babies so that you can't have babies, so that you, it will kill your babies, as today's Corner Fringe message was. And God says, I'm going to make you produce and be fruitful and multiply. He says that I'm going to give you the land, the promised land, the land of milk and honey. Uh, Basically, not a cursed ground, not away from the blessings of the Lord, but the ground, I'm going to overcome that curse for you. That his descendants would possess the gates of their their enemies. That enmity between you and the, the dragon I'm going to protect you from it, and and, and you're going to basically possess the gates of your enemies. You're going to be an overcomer. That's all in the promise of Abraham. I think that Paul understood Genesis 3.15 when he speaks in Romans chapter 16 about Yeshua. I think he had Genesis 3 in mind, this curse. He says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Notice he doesn't say the God of peace has crushed Satan under his feet. He says the God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet. You're my team. You're my team. You're the ones that I'm going to use and I'm going to do it shortly. I can't believe Paul didn't have Genesis 3.15 in mind there. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and hers. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That your feet, that's you, the overcomers. Notice his word. Notice that word shortly as well, because Revelation said, I'm going to show you what must soon take place. The whole goal of Revelation 12 here is to crush Satan's head. And he's going to do it through the overcomers. Oh, he'll be there. He's, he's fighting for you. You couldn't do it on your own. But nonetheless, that seems to be what's going on. Ephesians 1.22, he will put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church is the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, if you are the body of Christ and he crushes them under his feet, that means you are his feet, which means you're his team. Deuteronomy 11:24, every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. That was the promise of Abraham. That was the promise to Moses. That was the covenant. Folks, the covenant didn't end with Jesus. It goes to Revelation. And part of the covenant is that you are going to tread under or or, or upon the enemy's head. I think we're going to find out. I don't know. And I don't even want to guess because I think I'd be wrong. All I know is that these are the promises, and this does seem to fit Revelation 12 nicely, that Israel, the woman, gives birth to a child. Ultimately, you might say, more Jews. Well, first, uh, I don't know on this, but I'm going to say those who follow God. Uh, who have the faith of Abraham. But then there's the rest of her offspring. I don't know if that male child could possibly be the 144,000 and the rest of her offspring be everybody else. I mean, I was trying to, who could, and I don't know. But I think in the end times it's going to be clear. But it doesn't seem to just be Jesus. But there's, Two people there, and I I can't make full sense of it. Um, But again, if you're the team through which God is going to use to destroy Satan, He's not going to take you out and put you all on on the bench in a uh, pre-trib rapture. He's going to use you. Unless... There are those who are taken and the 144,000 still stay behind. And he uses them for that special purpose to fulfill what he called them to do to begin with. Don't know. I mean, there are a number of scenarios. I don't know which one's right. I just know it's not as cut and dry as we've said. Um. Again, even in the Old Testament, God commanded Israel to fight the battles. He didn't wipe them out and say, now you can go on in. They had to engage in the battle going into the promised land. He could have said, all right, while you're out there in the 40 years, you're desert wandering, I'm going to wipe every... You know, you have to fight the battles. I'll be there for you, but you have to fight them. Now that you're going into the promised land, let me wipe them out, and you just go in and, you know, kick back and relax going into the promised land, God used Israel as a team to crush Satan's head. If that's the pattern, I suspect that's what you can expect out of Revelation too. So, something to think about. That's why, as I said before, the saints come with him. It's not going to be easy, but no one's going to perish. Just like I said, Balaam, when they went after them, not one was dead. I think out of that 144,000, not one is going to die. Out of God's team, they will be protected in this event, whatever this is. That's what it says here, too, that Satan throws a flood of water out after them, but the earth opens up, swallows the water, protects the people. I just know it's protection. That's all I know. So, what is this war between the dragon and the woman? Revelation 12 again, just uh, highlighting a couple other things. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And then her child was caught up to God. Um, Note this who's caught up to God? Not the woman the child. If the woman is Israel, that's why I said the other option, maybe we go, but they stay to fight. Interestingly enough, when they went to fight uh, at the battle thereafter, Peor, not all of them went to fight. Only... 1,000 from each tribe. Is that why 12,000 are selected from each tribe so that you have 144,000? Not all of them are going to stay to fight. I don't know. But these are patterns. Verse 10 and following after, there's war in heaven. Satan is cast out and there's no more war that's ever going to take place in heaven. Well, the war is going on in heaven. It seems to be that's where the child is, caught up to God. So then the devil goes after those that are on earth for the next three and a half years. But who is the, the, the ones that are left? I don't know. The woman and the rest of her offspring. I just don't know who the rest of her offspring are. All I know is it's not the child. The child has been taken up. Let's say it is just Jesus. Well, then that means his team. I don't, I don't know. So we read here um, in verse 10, like I said, the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. The timing of all of this, as we touched on last week, is just fascinating. And again, it just muddies the water a little bit, but it seems to be that he is not cast out until all these other things happen, that the child is caught up. If this is a future event, that means he's not completely cast out until this time it fits well with some of those trumpets, the last trumpets that we saw, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the devil has now come down to you. So it fits nicely within the book of Revelation to say the devil is not cast down till these end times. Verse 13 goes on and it says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time in times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Again, its woman is Israel. Israel is the one that goes out into the wilderness. Israel is the one that is protected at this time. The child is gone. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. Woman. That he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Will these 144,000 continue to be a light in the world to where maybe others start saying, okay, I believe, yes, Jesus is Messiah, and they too then follow along so that, not a second chance, but that, as Scripture says, when the fullness of Gentiles comes in, then what is written will take place. All Israel will be saved. That the fullness of Gentiles has to come in, and then, maybe that's the child. The Gentiles, you and I, that are taken up, and it's Israel then that fights, and then those that come to know him after that. Don't know, another possibility. Kind of ties in with other things we've said. But. So again, I'm, I'm not painting a, a perfect clear picture here, for but at least maybe putting other ideas in your head to look for. It. So here's just kind of a basic review of the order of things that we see uh, in chapter 12. I kind of said this before, but my notes here are just saying, you know, Satan has always been trying to destroy the man-child destined to rule. The overcomers are the one destined to rule. That's what he promised in the first part of Revelation. And so God's offspring, though, has always crushed him. When Abraham entered the land, it says one of the very first things is the Canaanites were in the land. Why? Because Satan knew, I'm going to destroy these people. I'm going to try everything I can um satan knew it was going to be about 400 years before a deliverer would come because god prophesied that to abraham so satan worked through pharaoh preparing to destroy the babies in the nile river when jacob came into the land as i said before the shechemites immediately tried to corrupt the seed the plains of moab satan immediately tried to protect or corrupt the seed so they couldn't get into the promised land in end times Satan is going to try and corrupt the seed. So that they don't get to go into the promised land. I'll tell you what, watching uh, Corner Fringe today, he has done a good job of corrupting the seed. Churches are filthy, demonic, satanic altars in many cases today. I'm not talking about the ones that you and I go to. But I'm talking about many of these denominations that are supporting homosexuality and abortion and uh, women's lib. You know, it is absolutely disgusting what they are doing in the name of Jesus. Or Princess Diary actor, what's her name? That awful lady, Anne Hathaway. She, you know was bragging about how many abortions she had and even called it mercy it's even merciful and encouraging others i mean these are the kind of things that just blow my mind but anyway um we're going to look a little bit more carefully at this man child being a picture of moses as well okay again just moses being more of a picture of what we're going to see in revelation 12 but To rule all the nations with an iron scepter, Um, Exodus 2 said, A man of the house of Levi went and took a wife of the daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a child, bore a son. When she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Moses was going to be a ruler of the people, so what does Satan do? He wants to destroy and corrupt it. Let me get it under my household. Let me mix the seed. But when Moses grows up, he makes a choice. And he says, rather than live under all this wealth, I would rather protect my people and follow God. That is a picture of those who you know, are in the future going to stand up for truth. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her. Well... Exodus 1.15, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one of them was Shiprah, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it's a boy, if it's a son, then you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, she shall live. Going after the male child. Just Everywhere. Verse 5, her child was caught up to God in his throne, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. God stepped in. He protects. Uh, interestingly, the devil sends a flood out of water, right? What, what did he do to kill the babies? The Nile River. Okay? But God opens up the earth to save it. He makes a papyrus, an earthen vessel in a sense, that saves Moses. Verse 10, uh, for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Well, that's exactly what God does to Pharaoh. He casts him into the sea. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Verse six, the woman fled into the wilderness, prayer to place by God, given two wings of a great eagle. Exodus 14:3 says, "Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, "They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. God took them out into the wilderness. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Okay, I'm going to win this. And they did so. Verse 4 of chapter 19, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God took them and brought them out into the wilderness, and he calls it, I took you out on eagles' wings. The flood of water destroys Pharaoh. And here's the fascinating thing. They're supposed to be taken out into the wilderness for three and a half days, or three and a half years. Do you know how long they wandered in the wilderness before they crossed the Red Sea? I can show you three days, but that very well could mean it was three and a half days. It tells us in numbers that they camp here on the first night and then on the second night and on the third night, and then they cross the Red Sea. It very well could have been three and a half days out in that wilderness before they crossed the Red Sea, before the deliverance from the dragon. So I kind of talked about this. The serpent spewed water out of his mouth. They were like, yeah, you go into that water. That's great. And then they go in after him. Um, anyway, the point is, is just many prophetic fulfillments and patterns that are seen here and I wouldn't expect it to be any different in end times because that's what we see throughout Scripture and the scriptures use the flood oftentimes as armies coming you're gonna see in Revelation as it comes up the waters the Bible tells this isn't just like man putting interpretation into it the Bible says the many waters are many peoples and so it very well could be people armies Coming after, or just you know, liberals coming after the conservative Christians, in essence. So yeah, as far as uh, Revelation, the earth helped the woman. We see that the Bible says in Re- Exodus fourteen twenty one, the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind, and all that night, and and made the sea into dry land. The earth helped. You know, the people in a sense. So. As I said, the devil keeps going after the seed because he knows. He knew that the Messiah was coming, so he uses Herod to try and kill it. He knew Moses was coming. I'm going to try and have Pharaoh kill it. He knows these things. So if he knows revelation and he knows that you guys are going to be overcomers and that God's going to use you as his team, better be prepared. The devil's coming after you. So you need to be on your toes. And by that, I mean you need to be in your word and trusting God stand up tall knowing god is going to fight this battle might look like we're losing no we're not we just have to wait for the door to open no wonder the devil's after us like i said revelation 2 7 he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes i will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of god or verse 11 he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death Verse 17, he who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Verse 26, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. These are our promises, folks. These are good things. You get to eat from the tree of life. You aren't going to be hurt by the second death. You get the hidden manna. You get to rule over the nations. But the overcomers are those... Who overcome this world and stop believing the lies and following the lies and making a home here. This is not our home. I keep drilling that in. I keep saying it, but God keeps putting it on my heart and my spirit. And I'm just weeping inside to see loved ones continue to chase after the things of this world. And our day-to-day life from the time we get up till the time we go to bed is thinking about Filling the hours of time, but very little about how am I serving God today? How am I going to be an overcomer today? The promises continue. He says, he who overcomes in chapter 3 here, I'm going to give white garments and I'm not going to blot out his name. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I'm going to make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall not go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new jerusalem verse 21 to him who overcomes i will grant to sit with me on my throne verse 7 of chapter 21 he who overcomes shall inherit all things guys this is a select group of people satan is trying to destroy you might be one of those if you're not are you working to be one of those you're not to focus on the fact that Satan wants to go after you. You have to focus on the part that Satan can't get to you. Because you are an overcomer who gets all of these promises. This is the 18, And I kind of think that that's what this child is. Perhaps even the offspring. The other offspring. But... Go read chapter 12 again and you'll see that. Um, I am going to just go through this quick. I kind of talked about you before, but just so you can see them, and I won't have to cover this later. Matthew 2.15, And so fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. It's Hosea 11, verse 1. But there it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Okay? Okay. Israel is called the son there. So the history of Israel I have on the bottom right there. If you look at it, it was a miracle birth through the promised son of Isaac. Jesus was a miracle birth through Mary. Israel, King David, ruled in Bethlehem. Jesus, King Jesus, born in Bethlehem. Israel shows brought out of Egypt to fulfill a promise. Matthew 2.13 brought out of Egypt to fulfill a promise. Israel, Pharaoh tried to destroy. Herod tries to destroy Jesus. Moses rises as a savior of Israel. Jesus rises as a savior of Israel. Moses was, or Israel was baptized in the Red Sea. Jesus baptized in the Jordan. Israel had 40 days of desert wandering. Jesus spent 40 days out in the wilderness after after he was baptized. Um, Joshua leads them into the promised land. Yeshua is the name Joshua. Yeshua, Joshua leads them, Israel, into their promised land because he takes away their sin. Joshua was told to destroy the inhabitants to avoid contamination, but they failed. So Yeshua comes, the land is filled with them. And he rids the land of evil, casting out demons. Israel dies under the Old Covenant. okay? But Yeshua comes and rises, raises everybody through that. So every place that Israel failed, Yeshua succeeds. okay? Like I said, casting out demons that the Canaanites uh, were still there because Joshua didn't you know, get them all out. As a result... Of these demons, be as a result of not the full obedience. The land was filled with disease, and sickness. You know, in addition to the demons. So not only does Jesus cast out demons, but he heals all the sick. Everywhere he goes, so he teaches to bring back truth and empower them to go to the nations and fulfill their purpose. Um, the Holy Spirit, Acts one four. Disciples are told to wait for the Spirit and power. In essence, basically, it was at that time that Christ was going to empower them to do what they were supposed to do and couldn't do before. We have that Holy Spirit. You have the power to be the overcomer. Because you can do all things through Christ who lives in you. You can't do it on your own. You got a temper problem, you can't solve it on your own. It's impossible you have to die to self and give your life to jesus christ you need to call out and weep to him you got a porn problem you can't solve this on your own and a 12-step program isn't going to do it your little app on your phone isn't going to solve it either run to jesus because it is him and his power that's going to give you that strength to overcome you got a greed problem, a spending problem, a, a drinking problem. I don't care what it is—a sexual problem. It's maybe it's not pornography, but uh, just wrong ideas, unhealthy habits. Run to Jesus. So, in Acts chapter two, Shavuot, Pentecost comes. They're filled with that Spirit. And allowing them to speak the ways of God, to understand and to be able to be empowering them boldness. Exodus 19 shows Israel was to be the kingdom of priests to the nation. But they didn't do it. So Jesus makes you a kingdom of priests to go and do it. And so that's what he does there at Pentecost. Um, Yeshua makes Israel holy, enables her to be a priestly nation, reaches others with the word to fulfill the mission of Israel and to be the envy of Israel of nations, so that the Gentiles would come in. And now you're supposed to be making them envious so that they will come in. This is what it said in Exodus 19. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, notice that if, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So you are a kingdom of priests. So with that, I am going to close, let you just kind of ponder and let the spirit kind of work on your hearts to, to put a desire in there for you to be an overcomer that we need to get engaged in the battle.